Would you thank our scripture readers this morning for reading to us and leading us? And... All right. Now, those are some pretty tough scriptures, aren't they? Huh? Tough scriptures? I mean, we like the stories of Jesus where, you know, he says, go and sin no more. And we like the story where Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. I mean, we, we like those and we retell those, but we don't really, I mean, how many of you read that for your morning devotion this morning? I mean, we, we, those are not scriptures that we just re- revel in. Jesus was very critical. He's incredibly critical. He was criticizing the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the teachers of the law. Jesus did criticize, didn't he? But also, Jesus was criticized. I want to show you a couple of verses of that in just a minute, but here, here's kind of like the verse that we like. This is how this whole section ends. So Jesus criticizes all of them, and then he, he ends with, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I've longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. I mean, we like that, don't we? How many of you like that verse? Compared to the other verses in that chapter, that's, that's a cool verse, right? But not only was he critical, but he also was criticized. And, and Joy shared for us during communion section where he was criticized. I want to show you three others real quickly. Here we go. Matthew 21, Jesus entered the temple courts. And while he was teaching, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him. By what authority are you doing these things? And they asked, and who gave you this authority? He was criticized. Number two. Then some Pharisees, here's another episode, teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and they asked him, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Why, why do they do that? Here's, here's illustration number three. This is about fasting. Then John's disciples came to him and said, how is it that we and the Pharisees, we fast, but your, your homeboys, they don't fast. How come? We don't understand that. And so here are three different examples of where Jesus was criticized. Now, how many of us in the room like criticism? We love it when somebody comes to us and says, oh, you're really messing this up. We'd like to help you to do better. How many of us in the room like criticism? How come? I think we fear criticism. I mean, I mean, has your spouse ever come to you and said, oh, wonderful husband, doll of my life, do you have any great truths? Am I failing you in any way? Or are there any shortcomings in my life that I can improve you with? One guy's nodding his head, yes, he's crazy. I know him. He's flat out crazy. He'll be divorced by the end of this service. Your kids, my kids have never come to me and sat at my feet and said, oh, wise father that you are. What incredible gems of wisdom and truth have you got for me this week? My kids have never done that. Do your kids do that? My kids, my kids have, I mean, I mean, nobody really likes criticism, do we? I don't, and it usually doesn't go well either, does it? When somebody's either giving criticism or receiving criticism. How many of you have said, you know, this, man, that went well. They'll never speak to me again, but it went really well, Right. Your wife has a new pot roast recipe, and she asks you, how did you like it? And it was horrible. What do you do? You lie. <laughs> Flat out, you lie. This was great, honey. She's not in this service. I won't share that in the second, third hour. Uh, you lie. You, just, you, you don't come clean on that one. 
Criticism rarely goes well. Whether you're the one, and by the way, we, we do criticism because we want to correct future behavior. There is an issue, there is behavior that needs to be corrected. And so, so it, it doesn't go well. Because usually the people who love to give criticism are, are, are the people, that, they're the wrong people doing it, right? And the people who are reluctant to give criticism, they're the ones that are the right ones to do it because it pains them, but they haven't had a lot of practice with it. And so rarely does this go well in, in our lives. And so I ask myself three questions. If I'm being criticized, and by the way, I don't like criticism. I fear it. I think I wrote this sermon for me today. I don't do well with criticism. I'll be the first one to tell you in this room that this is not what I like. This pained me to write this message this particular week. But I, I asked myself three questions. Here's question number one. Was the, was the criticism warranted? I mean, did, it, did, I, did I, is it right? Is the person giving me, whether it's a supervisor, whether it's a spouse, whether it's a kid, whether it's a neighbor, was the criticism, what was it warranted? Number two, was it related with a critical spirit? Did the person like come after me? Did I like almost see the venom and I could see their horns? I mean, what was it related in a, in a critical way? That matters to me. Number three, did the person delivering the message, um, do, they, do they love me? Because if they love me, then that, that makes a little bit of a difference. Now, there are all kinds of reasons why we struggle with this. One of the reasons why is we're terribly insecure. And what we hear is, is we don't measure up. And so when we hear criticism from our backgrounds, we've had somebody, aunt so-and-so, uncle so-and-so, we've had a grandparent, we've had a coach, we've had a teacher, we've had somebody who's come after us, and this person has basically made us feel like no matter how much we study, it's not enough. No matter how fast we run as an athlete, it's not, it's not fast enough. And so what happens with criticism is we feel like we won't measure up. No matter how hard we try, we can't get there. And so one of the reasons why we struggle so greatly with criticism is we hear this negative mindset from somebody, negative, 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 that I, I, I don't measure up. And then, then there's those perfectionists out there. And the perfectionists, you know, no matter, again, how high of a standard they have, it's always higher than what you can meet. It's always higher than what you can reach. So I've got another slogan for you I want you to, to latch on to, and I want you to commit this one to memory. Here it is. Relational demand always creates relational detachment. Now, I want to explain this. Relational demand, friendships. Let's just start with friendships. So if you've got a friendship and that friend is demanding, you got to text me back. When I text you, I want to text back in 30 seconds. When I call you, I want you to call me right back. When I email you, I expect an email within, within an hour. If you've got friends who apply, by the way, I don't have these kind of friends anymore. I don't need them. I don't need those friends in my life. But if you've got friends applying that kind of pressure to you, you will then back away because you can't fulfill it. It's too great. You can't measure up. No matter how hard you try, you're just meeting the standard, and there's never any margin. 
And when there's never any margin in a relationship, you're going to be detached. You're going to walk away. Now think about this. There are some people in your life right now that you used to be really close friends with. But because of the relational demands that he or she put on you, and you couldn't measure up. You didn't have enough time. You didn't have enough emotional capital. You didn't have enough money. Whatever it was, you could not meet his or her demands. There's now distance. You've backed up. There's now relational detachment. This happens in marriage all the time. I think some of, the, some of the reasons why we get married even is we think that other person is a whole lot bigger and stronger and greater than we are, and so they don't like meet all our needs. And some of the things that happen even in marriage is you get married and you expect that person to like fill up all the holes in your heart. The problem is with marriage is two broken people don't necessarily come together and all of a sudden just make a whole person. And so there's relational detachment. When you expect your spouse to do this, and your spouse is trying, your spouse is not going to change. Your spouse is not going to ever get really good at this. Your spouse is never going to think this way, act this way, react this way. But you expect her or you expect him to get there, and they don't. Eventually, that spouse that feels that pressure begins to back up, back up, back up, back up, because there's detachment. So if one-fourth of this or one-eighth of this happens with friendships and about three-eighths of this happens in marriage, now we're at half, right? About four-eighths or half of this happens in the home with kids. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't have great expectations out of your kids. Don't, don't miss it. That's another sermon for another day. That's a, that's a parenting series. I'm not talking about that. Well, what I'm saying is, is when you ask a kid to do something Bigger or better or greater than the kid can ever accomplish on his own. He's not wired that way. She's not wired that way. But the pressure, the pressure stays that high. Eventually, that kid is going to become detached because relational demand always creates relational detachment. You know that's true. Because that's why some of us in the room fear criticism. We, we couldn't measure up. No matter how many A's you got, when you came home with a B or a C, it wasn't enough. You, you, you could be 40 years old in this room, and you still feel that pressure from your mom or from your dad. That, that no matter, you got a great life, great wife, great husband, great, great job, but you feel, you feel that incredible pressure from somebody. You may have a supervisor. You may, you may be in, in a work environment where no matter how hard you're working, you're just, you, you, you'll never get there. You, you'll never be able to cut that. So what happens? Well, I want to show you a couple pictures. Here's picture number one. Criticism. Before you criticize someone, you should walk a mile in their shoes. That way, when you criticize them, you're a mile away and you have their shoes. Just a thought, okay? Picture number two, criticism. Don't be too quick to criticize yourself. It's not fair to all your friends who are just dying to do it for you, okay? Turn with me to Psalm 141. 
and that one of our songs this morning came from Psalm 141. It's a psalm of David. And David has some very practical suggestions. But in Psalm 41, verse 1, he says, I call to you, Lord, and come quickly to me. Hear me when I call to you. Look at verse 2. May my prayer be set before you like incense. Now, if there were two things that you could count on in the temple, one was incense and one was the morning and the evening sacrifice. It's like a broken clock. It's going to be right at least twice a day, right? You can count on the morning and evening sacrifice, and you can count on the incense. You can write it down. May my prayer be set before you. In other words, I want you to hear my prayer. Just like we can count on the incense in the temple and the sacrifices, I'm counting on you to hear my prayer. Now, here's his prayer. Look look at verse 3. Here's the prayer. Set a guard over my mouth, Lord, and keep watch over the door of my lips. Now, what if you said this prayer every morning before you, got, before you left the house? Would your life be better? No? Yes? Danita has prayed this prayer for me for the last 20 years, every Sunday morning. <laughs> God doesn't always answer her prayers, but she prays that prayer for me uh, every Sunday. All right, I've got a card for you in your bulletin, and I want to ask you to memorize this. This is a prayer that will help your life to be healthier and better. Set a guard over my mouth, Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. And once you have this memorized, I want you to turn it over. Once you have this memorized, I want you to write someone a letter of encouragement. Not a critical letter, a letter of encouragement. And I want you to hand deliver it. Do not email it. Do not text it. Do not cyber world it. I want you to hand deliver this as a note of encouragement. So that's your response piece today. Number one is what? What's the first piece? Commit it to memory. All right. That won't take long, will it? It's a pretty short verse. And then number two, on the back side of it, write someone a letter of encouragement, a note of encouragement, and hand deliver it. Hey, I really think you're doing a great job. Appreciate you being my neighbor. I appreciate you being a great, a great co-worker. Hey, you're, you're a great kid. I want to I send you a, just a note of encouragement, and you're going to hand deliver it. All right, that's Psalm 141. Psalm 19, verse 14, kind of says the same thing a little different way. Same guy, it's David. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Okay, in your bulletin, I want to give you something very, very practical, and then I'm going to move to the end of the message, which I'm really excited about even more so than the next two minutes. But the next two minutes is very practical for you, and I try every week to give you something you can use in the business world, something you can use in school, something you can use in your neighborhood, family. So this is very, very practical the next two minutes. Five suggestions on how to handle criticism. You need to be able to give criticism well, And you need to be able to receive criticism well. Let me give you five suggestions. Here's suggestion number one. Use the feedback sandwich method. You know what the sandwich method is? You're you're doing a really good job with this. I need a little bit more help, though, with this. And by the way, I think you're doing awesome with this. I think Danita does this to me about every day, you know. Hey, I really appreciate this. Can you take out the trash a little bit more regularly? You're a great husband. I love you. She's just, she, she's got me right where she wants me, okay? The, the sandwich method is you're being very positive, but you're still addressing the issue, but you're still affirming the person. Number two, 
Focus on the situation. You see, criticism is about correcting future behavior. That's the point of criticism. You're not attacking the person. You're trying to assist with the behavior. So you focus on the situation. Number three, you be specific. It doesn't help to just be critical. You know, when, um, when you come in, you know, five minutes late to work, you know, every morning. Um, by the way, that, that just sets us all back, and it's really expensive, those five minutes, because it affects seven other people. I need you to be on time. Is there a reason why, you know, that you can't be here on time? You're being very specific about something. Number four, comment on that which can be acted upon. That just makes all the sense in the world, doesn't it? When you're, when you're being critical with a, with, a, with a child or you're being critical with, your, with criticism with a coworker, or you, you, what, what, what can you do? What, what can be acted upon? Number five is give suggestions, but let him or her come up with solutions. I didn't used to do this, but about the last 10 years, I have gone to the second half of this. I'll, I'll make a few suggestions, but I work with such smart people that the smart people around me make better suggestions than what I come up with. My wife and my kids are such smart people, they come up with better suggestions than what I would have come up with. So maybe make some suggestions, but let the smart people around you continue to come up with amazing solutions. Okay, you good with that? All right, don't say a word, but stand up. Somebody said, oh, no. We're at church. This is a safe environment. All right, take a deep breath. Okay, sit down. Because I want you to dial into the next part. This is the next part I really want to, I'm excited about this. You see, I know that we fear criticism with God. Now, we fear criticism from other people because we've heard those voices from other people. Again, that coach or that teacher or that aunt or parent or somebody in your life has been critical, and you hear that critical voice. I think you transfer that over to God. I think when we think about the big G-O-D, we think about the capital C, the criticism. And all we feel then is that we never measure up. God's that negative mindset. God's that perfectionist. And we can never, no matter how much we read the scriptures and no matter how much we give, no matter how many times we serve, no matter how many old ladies we help across the street, we always feel and we always hear criticism. And then what it becomes, it becomes then a race. And you begin to race as to like, how much can I do for the kingdom of God, so I will feel good and maybe have less criticism because I'm trying to measure up. But eventually, if you can't do enough for God and be enough for God, then there's that detachment from God because I can't measure up to God. I can't read my Bible every day. I can't pray like I should. I can't give like I should. I can't serve like I should. And then Christianity becomes like, what, what can I do? What, what, what can I do? And what can I be? What can I be so I can feel good, get less pressure from my heavenly Father? And it becomes about, like, like my sacrifice. What can I sacrifice? And it becomes about my progress. And it becomes about my performance. And it becomes about what can I finish? What can I complete for the kingdom of God? And whenever we get into that 
lifestyle. We're the dog chasing its tail. We'll never catch it. We'll speed up, and eventually we'll just quit. Eventually we'll just give up. And I think that's why some people even walk away from the church, and they walk away from God because they hear, I will never measure up. And so this is kind of how God works. By the way, God's very demanding. Look at this. God's demand. God is demanding. God is absolutely demanding. God's demand is for you and I to be righteous. And you cannot water down the law. And by the way, you also can't keep the law. Nobody could ever keep the law. We couldn't keep the Ten Commandments. We couldn't keep the extra 613 in the Old Testament. And then here comes Jesus. I mean, man, we're struggling to keep the big ten. And here comes Jesus. And he says, you know, it used to be, you know, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, pray for your enemies. What? I hate my enemies. I don't want to pray for them. And, you know, don't commit adultery. And, All right, we got that down, Pat. And then Jesus says, but I tell you, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you go, oh, crap. I, can't, I shouldn't have said crap. But crap, you know, I can't even get there, you know. I can't keep... That was funny, sorry. <laughs> I can't keep this. And, I, and all of a sudden, I got to keep, I can't get there. I couldn't keep the low level of the law. I certainly can't keep the standards of Jesus. But I'm telling you what, you cannot water it down. It's wrong. You can't water it down. And look at the next slide. There's no way you can live up to it. God knows that. God already knew that. God's demand is to be righteous, but God's diagnosis is nobody's righteous. Nobody. Point number three to this then is God's deliverance. So I'm going to send them Jesus. This is the gospel. If you've not been to church, you don't understand church, you don't understand religious people. I don't understand religious people either. But my goal today is to help you to understand church and the gospel. This is the gospel. It's Jesus. Jesus is your righteousness. God's diagnosis, you're not going to be good enough to keep the law. You never were. You never will be. But you're peddling. Man, you're trying. You're striving. You're working hard to keep the law. And you're never going to make it. Perhaps the most important section of Scripture in all the Bible is Revelation chapter 5, perhaps. And Revelation chapter 5 describes for us this scene where there's a scroll that nobody can open, nobody can break the seals, nobody's good enough, nobody's clean enough, nobody's righteous enough to take the scroll from God, from the throne, and to break open the seals. Look what he says in, in Revelation chapter 5. And here's the author, John, the author. And he says, I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll. No one could even look inside of it. I wept. And I wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, John, do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah? Do you see the root of David? He's triumphed. He is able to open the scrolls. He is able to open the seven seals. 
And he went, this is Jesus, and he took the scroll from the right hand of God who sat on the throne. And when he'd taken it, the four living creatures, the 24 elders, you bet they fell down. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song saying, you're worthy. Jesus, you're worthy to take the scroll, to open its seals, because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe, every language, every people, every nation. And then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousands times ten thousands. And they encircled the throne and the living creatures and all the elders. In a loud voice, they were all saying the same thing. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and forever and forever and forever and forever and forever. My friends, it's not about what you do. It's about what he did. It's not about what you finish. He said, it is finished. It's not about your sacrifice. It's about his sacrifice. It's not about your performance. It's about what he performed on the cross, taking all your sins. It's not about progress. It's about his perfection. It's not good good advice, it's not good behavior, it's not good techniques, it's called good news. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel story. And so from your heavenly Father, you don't have criticism. You have a relationship that your Father's going, you're in, you're in, you're in. I love you. I know you're struggling. I know you're weak. I know you're troubled. I know you're burdened. I know you got issues. I know you're broken. You're in. You're all the way in. You're always in. And I am your Father. And your Heavenly Father is absolutely crazy about you. You may hear criticism from an aunt. You may hear criticism from a teacher. But you will not hear criticism from your Heavenly Father. Zephaniah chapter 3 verse 17 says the Lord sings over you. I don't know what he's singing. But Zephaniah 3 17 says the Lord sings over you. He is so passionately in love, crazy about you. He wants to just let you just come into his fold and he'll do life with you he'll do amazing life with you that's why Romans chapter 5 verse 1 says therefore since we have been justified through faith we have peace with God there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus Romans 5 verse 8 says while we were yet sinners Christ died for us God demonstrates that. And in Romans 8, 26, that's all right, do the next one. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Does God think you got to be perfect? He knew you couldn't be perfect. 
You couldn't keep the Ten Commandments. You certainly aren't going to keep... No. He already knows. He already knows. And yet he's crazy about you and he's crazy about me. So we accept Christ. And Jesus Christ then cleanses us from our sins, past, present, and even future. That's why Max Lucado says the gospel's too good to be true, but it's too great to pass up. He's absolutely right. The Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We don't even know how we ought to pray. And the Spirit prays for us with groans and words too deep for your human spirit to even understand. So I don't know why you wouldn't become a Christian. If you're not a Christian this morning, I don't know why you wouldn't. You got, some, you got the God of the universe dialed into you, wanting to change and transform your life. He, he's not out to get you. He, he, it's called amazing grace. It's not ordinary grace. It's not routine grace. It's amazing grace that he gives to you. And so I, I just want to encourage you this week. I, I want to encourage you to memorize this verse. I want to encourage you to write somebody a note, hand deliver it to them. Love you. Think you're doing a great job. I want to encourage you. I want to be your friend. Just want you to know I, I think a lot about you. And I want you to really think about how much Jesus loves you. And if you're not a Christian, man, we, we want you to do that. We're going to do beach baptisms again coming up here in a couple Sundays, June the 22nd. If you've never been baptized into Christ, we want you to go sign up at the Connect Desk this morning. Why don't you stand? I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come down front. And our prayer partners are down front because they're going to help you. And so maybe today is your day to become a Christian. They'll help you with that. I think your greater struggle, though, is, is maybe not even with your heavenly father. Maybe your greatest struggle is some of your own brokenness that you deal with on this subject and you fear criticism. Maybe today you'd like to have some prayer to be prayed for, to be prayed over. Lord, set me free from, from my fear of criticism. I don't, I don't give it well and I don't, I, don't, I don't receive it well. And I'm telling you, I struggle with it. I don't like criticism. I don't. I don't hear criticism well from people. But I want you to know this. My Heavenly Father doesn't criticize me. My Heavenly Father is crazy about me. My Heavenly Father loves me deeply and dearly. And He loves you just as deep. He loves you just as dear. What an amazing Father we have. It's an amazing story. It's called the gospel. Lord Jesus, you've come to set us free. You've come to set us free and transform with peace. So we pray that if there's any in the room that are not Christians, they'll become a Christian today. There's no good reason for them not to give their life to you. And I pray they'll do that. I pray they'll come forward with our prayer partners and receive you as Lord and Savior. I pray, Father, that you'll help us with this fear to walk through this life not feeling like we have to measure up, not feeling like 
we can never measure up. But to rest in your amazing grace. We love you, Father. In Jesus' great name we pray. Amen. Have a great day.